0: This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first profit public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Coming up, on Monday, New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell announced that she was ending partial furloughs for public safety employees. After just a few days of in-person classes after the holiday break, all New Orleans public schools are back to virtual learning only. And older inmates in Louisiana prisons and jails are set to begin receiving vaccinations for the coronavirus as early as next week. Those stories, insight and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. On the podcast this week after the holiday break, government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein. Hi, Michael. Morning. Education reporter Marta Jusen's here. Hey, Marta. Hi, Carolyn. Criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel's joining us. Hey, Nick. Hi, Carolyn and Lens Editor Charles Maldonado is here. Happy holidays, Charles.
1: Happy holidays.
0: Okay, Michael, we're up first with the mayor's office. Late last year, Mayor LaToya Cantrell instituted one day per week furloughs for all city employees as a budget crisis was looming. Earlier this week, her office announced they would be ending furloughs for public safety employees in police, fire, and some other departments and signaled larger city personnel changes coming up. What was the announcement that they made on Monday?
2: Yeah, so, so like you said, um, Monday was basically a, a partial end to um, these furloughs that have been in place since October um, of last year. And, and, and they were put in place originally because the city um, last year was dealing with a um, roughly $100 million budget shortfall um, and was basically looking to cut costs wherever they could. And at the time, it was pitched as a way to kind of spread out the the losses instead of you know doing layoffs or or you know putting more hardships on certain people. Um, so what she announced this week was that furloughs for certain departments, for certain public safety departments. So we're talking about the NOPD, the fire department, EMS, um, as well as the health department. Um, Employees working for those departments will, will no longer be under this furlough. That also applies to the Juvenile Justice Intervention Center, which is our, our juvenile detention center locally. Um, so, yeah, so those people, you know, the, the furlough as existed before was basically one day per every um, pay period. So if you're a full time employee, it was pretty much a 10 percent pay cut. And now
1: that's um, going to be reinstated for some. Just to clarify that one day per pay period works out usually to to once about every two weeks.
0: Okay. And I'm sure that the um, that those particular cuts were probably highly controversial.
2: Yeah. You know, it, there's been a lot written about, you know, how, um, for example, the cuts to the Custodic fire department was affecting their ability to respond. I mean, uh, you know, there have been some high profile fires lately, um, you know, Part of that is due to this focus on the cuts to the fire department. I mean, the fire department has also dealt with staffing issues for years. So this on top of that. Um, and then obviously, you know, this year has seen a violent crime increase, you know, a big violent crime increase from last year here across the country, but, but really in New Orleans. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people were looking at that and saying, is this really the time that we should be cutting down on, on law enforcement? health department obviously was controversial in itself because we're still in the middle of a pandemic juvenile justice intervention center i'm not sure you know publicly how controversial that was i mean um the justification for that was almost kind of separated from from the others um i think what you're dealing with there is that that's also been a place where where the city has seen consistent staffing issues over the years i think with the pandemic and and you know, the new protocols that's um, called for um, has just required more staffing there. And I think that there is some concern about the city staying in inside of state and federal guidelines for what juvenile detention has to look like. Um, So I think that that kind of is more the justification on the juvenile justice um, center.
0: Is there any indication that this criticism partially prompted the change or what what prompted the change?
2: Yeah, I mean, there was pressure from all over. I mean, you know, you you look at the fire and police, um, you know, associations, they were um, leaning heavily um, on on the mayor to, to end the furloughs for public safety. The city council has passed some resolutions that basically um you know have said if we realize certain new funds they have to be funneled to end the furloughs for nopd nofd so um yeah from city council from the public from the media from the workers associations the mayor was definitely getting a a lot of calls to to end the furloughs um especially at the police and fire
1: departments i would say we're seeing one headline after another about you know, this year, this year, murders being up by by uh, you know about seventy from last year. A lot of major fires appearing in the news lately and throughout last year, uh, and the firefighters' union in particular uh, was very, very vocal every time there was a major fire of getting out there and and blaming the mayor, blaming the furloughs. Uh, very publicly this was in in uh, newspaper articles as well as a court you know a, as a you know concerted daily social media campaign alerting various neighborhoods that their neighborhood is you know their neighborhood is in danger today because the the fire station has been it's been a lot of uh, you know embarrassing headlines for city hall combined with social media attacking city hall daily mm-hmm. I am a bit curious and there was some
2: Twitter discussion about this recently and I guess it'll be easier to see in retrospect, but, but I I am curious about, I think everyone reading the news regularly has kind of noticed, um, you know, more big fires in the news. And I think, you know, whether that's a perception issue, whether the, the associations are pushing these stories more or, you know, whether there really has been a negative effect from these furloughs and an inability to respond to these fires. Um, you know, that'll be an interesting thing to suss out that, you know, again, I think retrospect will help with.
0: Right. Um, so how much is it going to cost?
2: The furloughs um, continued through 2021, um, as originally proposed, um, would have saved the city about $28.6 million. Now, this end to the furloughs for, for certain departments, that's going to bring off about $16 million of that. So, so adding this new payroll that the city hadn't originally budgeted for, it's about a $16 million cost. Um, so again, the effect of the furloughs, the, the, the monetary gain or the financial savings for the city have been cut a little bit more in half. Um, the number that we were given is that there are roughly 2,243 employees um, that this is going to affect. Um, so, you know, it, again, it, it's a big chunk of the furloughs, um, although I guess the furloughs will still you know, save us roughly 12, $13 million this year, if, if they're not ended sooner
0: what's the justification then
2: so it's actually and they were clear about this that you know there there hasn't been any new money actually realized to pay for this yet this is a decision that's based off of more optimistic projections so you build the budget for 2021 based off certain you know projections forecasts that was back in december um you know they passed the budget on december 1st and and some things have changed since then so I, i think there's some confidence about how the vaccine, uh, how quickly the vaccine can get out. So I think there's some hope that, you know, maybe by fall, winter, you know, of this year, tourism will really pick back up. I think there's also optimism that the federal government is going to step up and, and provide some more direct financial aid to local and state governments. Um, you know, there were some of this, I mean, this was, you know, we, we talked about this for months um, back when the, the Federal CARES Act was passed. And, and so part of the CARES Act provided funding to state and local governments, but only to reimburse them for costs um, associated with the response, right? So if you needed extra police, extra face masks, you know, the federal government would, would help you there. But it didn't have any money set aside to help governments make up for money that they lost because of the pandemic.
1: I just wanted to interject very, very briefly. Michael is absolutely right that there's nothing in the CARES Act that provided for reven- revenue losses. Uh, however, you know, as as the, the as the federal agency's interpretation of the CARES Act sort of evolved, it evolved in a more and more flexible direction. Um, and among the the larger expenses that that qualified were were payroll for public safety employees. So that was, you know, that is a pretty big chunk of of the city budget. However, um, the city the city of New Orleans is not large enough to apply for its own CARES Act money uh, directly. It had to go through the state, and and the state legislature took a chunk of what was allocated to the state of Louisiana and what was was originally supposed to be allocated to local governments. And gave it to a, 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 a small business, a small business, I believe, loan program, or a relief prog- program at any rate. I can't remember exactly. So that cut the, the amount that was going to, um, it, particularly the larger local governments. Um, New Orleans ended up ended up uh, receiving far less uh, than what uh it applied for from the state under the cares act and what it technically should have been eligible for
2: right and, and, and like charles is saying i mean i think new orleans ultimately applied for over 200 million dollars in covid related expenses which i mean i don't think there were actually 200 million in extra you know dollars that we had to spend because of the cares act so yeah i think charles is right that there were ways to kind of expand that um but we had to rely on the state's allocation. Which is going to be an issue going forward perhaps right so i i think that was another big stressing point from from the mayor at this press conference was listen we're feeling good about the vaccines what we feel good that the incoming presidential administration and congress um, will be able to pass another stimulus but there's still a lot of unknowns maybe if they do provide local government support it's again routed through louisiana maybe we again see a situation where they divert that money to business loans or whatever else so Um, There is still some uncertainty that this optimism will actually play out, but I think they feel comfortable enough at this point um, to kind of do what was kind of top priority for a lot of people, which was to get the the police, fire, health department um, back up and running kind of with full capacity.
1: Now, so I'll mention two things here. One is that I'm sure the mayor is feeling even more optimistic since this press conference because the press conference was on Monday and on Tuesday, of course, was the election in Georgia. Um, So now not only are we dealing with a Democratic administration that's probably going to be more friendly to state and local aid in a a future coronavirus aid package, but we now have a Congress that theoretically is going to be more friendly to state and local aid in the next next, uh, coronavirus package. Now the second thing I wanted to bring up, and 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 I'd like to hear a little bit from Michael on this because I don't think we've heard anything from the mayor on this. Um, is so so they have they've basically uh, they've basically cut out 16 million dollars in potential savings, and I, I realize that they have all these justifications for that, including the vaccine and 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 the hope of federal money. Um, what we haven't heard from the mayor, I don't believe, is is any reference to the claim she was making before the December election that we would be out that the city would be out 25 million dollars uh if if voters failed to pass uh her her tax millage package have we heard I, I you know at the time i was very skeptical of that claim and i continue to be skeptical of that claim from the mayor um have we heard any reference to that since i have not um, i i think you know
2: The administration seems to be putting a lot of that debate behind them, not really addressing them at this point. Um, You know, if there are effects, if that has actually come to fruition, they haven't announced it publicly, I guess that's what I can say. But um, yeah, I mean, I was also very skeptical about the claim to begin with. It doesn't seem to have played out now. At least they haven't announced it. Something that's been a consistent challenge, you know, reporting on City Hall is when money means something and and and, uh, you know there are some times where the the mayor will talk about a six million dollar loss if we don't do something like it's the end of the world and we're gonna have to lay off all these people at other times we found 20 million dollars to do something good and and so I, i think that trying to gauge you know what's really important for the functioning of our government versus what's kind of a selling tactic for a certain policy um you know, it, it can be confusing to get around because the, we're, we're dealing with big numbers, but, you know, the city has a $700 million plus general fund in normal years. So, you know, it, it can be hard to gauge, but like Charles is saying, it was, um, we were looking at the end of the world if the, the millage package didn't pass. Um, and, and now we're adding $16 million without a surety that we'll actually find that money. Um, and so it all just depends on how it's presented, I guess.
0: She also hinted at some larger Personnel changes that are potentially in the offing. Do you have any idea of what that is?
2: I don't. um, I'll start with that. They made some very broad references to these bigger personnel changes that are coming to the city. Um, They did not get into details. I did not have the opportunity to ask more detailed questions about it. But I think it's definitely something to watch because it's interesting. Because what we were talking about at the press conference was fairly coronavirus-related, right? It was restoring funding that had previously existed for these departments. Now it seems like they're also talking about a different territory, which is a larger restructuring of the city workforce. And I think something to watch for, um, you know, you know, they they say announcements are coming out in the next few weeks about what that actually means. Um, I think something to watch for is, you know, how coronavirus issues are blended with, you know, overall, structural changes that the Cantrell administration maybe has wanted to make for a while. Um, so, I mean, the, my first thought when they're talking about broader personnel changes, um, I'm trying to get clear on whether they're talking about, you know, dealing with the ongoing crisis and the ongoing budget crisis, or are we talking about, you know, the way that Mitch Landrew, right, in normal years said, oh, we need to restructure X or centralize X. Um, and, you know, so, so that's the thing to watch for, but but yeah, I mean, to answer your question most simply, I. I Really don't have the details. They haven't been announced, um, but we're expecting you know more details to come.
0: It's also somewhat interesting that this con- press conference, which signals a, a an optimism about the future of twenty twenty one, because of the virus, because of um, realized tourist rebirth and and uh, mm-hmm. revenue that we might stream in, and yet just now also the same week we are hunkering down we're, we're going back to a tighter lockdown for coronavirus because of the, tr- the transmissions yeah. up so high
1: that was also kind of an expected announcement you know we saw this week yesterday when they redid the, the state positivity numbers which they do every wednesday the positivity rate doubled in new orleans it went from about you know five and a half percent to ten and a half percent which uh interestingly and kind of scarily um is, is 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 it's a very high positivity rate but it's also the lowest in the entire new orleans metro area so yeah I, we are seeing increased hospitalizations we are seeing more cases every day uh we're seeing more positivity in the tests and you know at the same time we're seeing we're seeing a, a vaccine rollout that is kind of stumbling um, you know we had a, we had a story earlier this week by our health reporter Philip Kiefer, who went and visited uh, several pharmacies and and basically they were just completely overwhelmed um, and and uh, the, the pharmacies he visited had had run through um, you know their hundred slot allocation in a half hour an hour they, they had made all the appointments that they could make and were beginning waiting lists that were starting to stretch into the hundreds and probably beyond that. Um, hmm. So we got a little bit of news that um, today's Thursday, you know, we're going to publish Friday. Yesterday, uh, Wednesday, from, from the governor's office about the possibility that the state is looking into how to do a mass vaccination program. But, you know, that at this point uh, is, is just uh, speculative and will depend on getting higher and higher allocations from, from CDC, which we have yet to see.
0: Well, all right. Thanks, Michael. This is a perfect segue into Marta's story. The s- kids and schools had a break um, for the holidays, went back on Monday of this week, and now they're going to virtual learning again after three days or four days of in-person. It really seems like it happened so quickly. What what happened? What prompted the change?
3: It absolutely happened so quickly, and I think uh you're going to hear a lot of uh, parents and families and teachers probably rightfully complain about that because this um, this about-face decision being made so late in the game just put everyone back together for a couple days, which is not what we necessarily want during COVID, um, during the pandemic, pandemic, and then spit them back out to figure out uh, daycare and child care situations and at-home learning. Um, so like Charles and uh, Michael were talking about, numbers have been rising, the uh, positivity rate in the city has been uh, inching up and then now it's doubled. And then of course, we are also watching the daily case counts, which um, earlier in the year, the district had said they didn't wanna see anything above 50 cases a day. And here we were, you know, over the weekend, um, seeing numbers above 150, above 200.
0: Had any schools, any charter schools, decided not to come back at all after the break?
3: There was one, at least one charter school, Brickolash Academy, on Sunday before students returned, um, told its families that they would not be going back to class because of those concerning numbers. And their CEO, Treve Profuse, um, really, you know, kind of said, echoed a lot of the concerns that many educators have had in the city, which is, you know, if you guys set these thresholds and we're surpassing them, why are we going back to in-person learning, why don't we just take a one-week break, which is what she had planned to do for their school? Because then they could kind of suss out um, any exposures. People could finish quarantines that maybe um, had happened due to holiday exposures or visiting family members. And then um, she she had planned to go back to school on January 11th. Now it's not going to happen um, because they're going to be out until at least January 21st.
1: I think what what happened here, and there, you know, there has been. Some criticism about this this last minute, it, not only because of the last minute timing, but but you know a lot of people saying we're generally seeing less transmission in schools than we would see in other other places where people gather. Um, so this really is a greater hardship on people than is necessary, and that's that's all completely understandable. But the fact remains that the New Orleans Public Schools District um, had set had had set these these metrics and said, you know, these are the metrics. When we cross these thresholds, that's when we're gonna to have to do a real reevaluation. And and the city had blown way past those those thresholds, way, way past them. And up until, you know, earlier this week, it just didn't seem like they were even going to 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 consider a going to virtual. Um, I think they were getting some pressure from the teachers union, they were getting some pressure from concerned parents. You know, just basically calling them out and saying, look, you said if we go above 5% positivity, you're going to reevaluate. Um, You know, the other metric was if you go above 50 cases, they kind of set themselves up for this. And it is curious that when we first went over 5%, according to state data, which was a week ago, yeah, you know, two weeks ago, yeah, uh, possibly, that they didn't start discussing this then, because they had said very specifically, these are the numbers we're looking at, this is how we're going to make our decision. And, uh, and it just seems that they had briefly decided, well, you know, we're just going to forget about that until earlier in the week.
3: I mean, in fact, we've been over 5% for two weeks, and they sounded a press release last week saying, all right, everybody, we're going back to school on Monday. So yes, I I agree with Charles. I was very curious that there didn't appear to be any public discourse about why that decision was being made or at least acknowledging that we were over 5% positivity and that cases were coming in at over 50 new cases a day.
0: Right. What do we know about COVID cases at schools?
3: I would say, unfortunately, I don't think we know a whole lot. Um, We know that officials have said that Uh, There doesn't appear to be a lot of COVID transmission in schools, but when you reach a point um, like we're at now, which is, uh, you know, we're in the the red level of all the metrics. Um, When you reach that point, officials say that, you know, that's going to spread potentially in schools too, as it's spreading in the community. So basically you hit a, a threshold of, you're so likely to be in contact with someone who might have a case, I think, and that's that's where we're at, and that's could be happening in schools because they're not reaching more than half of cases. They're not reaching within 24 hours.
1: Yeah, and to add to that, uh, we also don't know much about COVID cases in NOLA public schools this week. I believe I believe the state released data on you know overall parish rates yesterday, but that includes uh, both public and private schools, and you you don't know which is which in the state data. But uh, the NOLA public schools district. Uh, has opted not to release new numbers on on active COVID cases connected to its schools this week for some reason that I'm not sure what it is. But uh, theoretically, we should be getting new numbers from them them on Monday the 11th. Is that right, Marta?
3: That's right. And yeah, I also find that very curious because if they were able to make the decision to come back to school, surely... They were knowing or hoping to know like how many teachers were gonna be out, how many students were gonna be out due to um, positive tests or exposures. Um, and that was one reason Brick decided to cl- um, go virtual for this week because they didn't have enough staff um, to be fully staffed.
0: Mm. All right, well, you'll keep your eye on it for us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are Michael Isaac Stein, Marta Jusen, Nick Krastel and Lens Editor Charles Maldonado. Hi, I'm Madeline Arufo, and I'm a freelance reporter for The Lens. When you listen to this podcast or read a story at our website, you join in on the process of examining life and culture in a way that makes us all better citizens and better people. With more and more noise and information coming at us every day, it's important to have a place you can rely on for truth and balance. Please make a tax deductible donation to support our work at our website thelensnola.org/donate. And thank you. More coronavirus news. Nick as we pivot to criminal justice. Governor John Bell Edwards announced this week that elderly prisoners are in the cohort who are eligible to receive the vaccine for the coronavirus as early as next week. Had this always been a plan? for prisoners to be in this vaccination group?
4: It's unclear to me um, to what degree the the state was planning on doing this all along. You know, there's been some debate nationally about what prioritization prisoners should get, and some some a lot of uh, medical experts have argued that prisoners as a whole group, not just elderly prisoners, should be prioritized to get the vaccine. Louisiana does not appear to be doing that. So, so, yeah, it, w- it was not clear to me whether or not these elderly prisoners were going to be included in this initial uh, phase. And actually, when I asked the Department of Health initially, they told me that they weren't. And mm. uh, I assume that was the, the communication breakdown between the person I was talking to and and the decision makers. But it does seem like, you know, this, this may have been something that they were, were figuring out. And obviously you know the vaccinations are starting next week people became eligible this week so so the vaccines haven't been distributed to the prison yet as far as i can tell so i'm not sure when those decisions were made
0: and this is a population of prisoners who are over 70 how how many of, of those are there
4: so there are 489 state prisoners um who are eligible um most of those are over 70 there are also some uh in in end-stage renal disease so yeah there are 489 state prisoners who are eligible according to the governor um at a press conference yesterday what is less clear is there's also you know a fairly large uh jail pretrial jail population um who are not state prisoners and it's not clear to me yet uh, how those uh, prisoners in local jails will, um, will be uh, able to, to get the vaccine or whether or not they're being uh, included in, in the state's uh, allocations of, of vaccines to, to jails. There are state prisoners who have been sentenced who are housed in local jails, who, okay. con- who the state contracts with local jails in order to hold some of their, their prisoners. And so the governor said that those, those uh, inmates, those state inmates would be, uh, they would be allocating vaccines for them. But these pretrial uh, detainees who are, <coughs> who, are, who, are in, who are the custody of local sheriff's offices, um, though the status of those are less clear. It's also likely that there are quite a few um, pretrial detainees over the age of 70. You know, I think that the, the vast majority of the state prisoner population who's over the age of 70 are people who were um, convicted, you know, many, many years ago and were given, you know, life sentences or life without parole sentences, um, which are relatively common
1: uh, in Louisiana in comparison to other states. So. I'm gonna guess part of the reason that parish inmates were not addressed is that the state really may, may not know how how many people in these populations are are un, under the jurisdiction of parish jails i, I mean you, you know these jails are, are are run by dozens of different sheriffs departments not all of this data is kept centrally as far as i'm aware so it, it part part of the reason it's not it wasn't addressed could just be that they don't even they don't even know what the size of the population they'd be talking about is
4: yeah definitely well and i mean crew child
1: detainees could get booked
4: in one day and you know released the next or released you know in a, in a week when they come up with bail so so that it's a much more yeah uh flexible population
1: yeah and and, and just as to the larger debate I, have have we heard much about why it is that prisoners were not bumped up higher on the list in general because if you sort of look at it objectively right um, and take out the politics of giving a scarce resource to prisoners, which a lot of people are going to object to. It seems like we have we have some 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 high, very high risk things happening, which is a people living in a congregate setting, probably higher than average number are dealing, you know, are dealing with with some sort of a, a health problem. You know, there there's there are a lot of chronic drug users in jails and prisons. So you've got people packed in tight together, so the spread is the spread is going it, to it, it, there's going to be a higher risk for spread within the jail, but and and I think the second part is sometimes ignored or, or or by people or people don't realize this, but there are an incredible number of people who come in and out of jails in particular uh a bit less with prisons but but still with prisons. uh you know not only the guards you know in an average a, a average large jail in the state you're going to have more than 100 guards coming in and out every day uh but you know you're going to have you're going to have people getting an even larger number who are coming in and out getting bailed out getting arrested and getting bailed out and you know at a, at a, at a large state prison you're going to have several hundred guards coming in and out every day. So it, it, it seems like there's not only a risk for a congregate setting spread, but there's also community spread risk that's related to these jails and prisons.
0: But the vaccine hasn't been shown definitively to stop the spread of the coronavirus. It protects. If you get the vaccine, you are protected from getting it, but you are not necessarily not going to spread the disease.
4: Aside from if you take away the, the potential for, for community spread beyond uh, you know the walls of the prison, the people people inside are, are just at extreme risk for, for contracting the virus. Um, so yeah I, I think there's a number of different ways you can look at it. When I talk to I talk to epidemiologists and this was back when I still thought that, that prisoners over 70 were not going to receive the vaccine. And she basically said, you know, I have a problem with that, um, both uh, epidemiolo- epidemiologically as well as ethically. So there's, there's these kind of two, two factors, I think.
0: There's a finite amount now. It's, this is the ethics of it. It's so tricky. It's really, really, really a terrible ethical conundrum to be in. For those who are yep. administering and, and allocating this precious resource at this point.
4: Yeah, no, I agree.
3: I almost think like we're seeing some vaccine rollout issues, right? In terms of getting people in and out the door and being able to sign up. And I joked earlier that they need a one app for the vaccine because you know people are signing up at ten places and they only need one. Maybe vaccinating people in prisoners is going to be one of the most effective ways of getting the vaccine. Distributed, you know. Right.
4: Look more, more logistically straightforward than than certainly having people sign up at, at you know, ten different pharmacies. Um, but we'll see. Right.
0: That's a great way to start the year. Welcome back everyone. Thanks for all your hard work.
4: Not too soon, Carolyn.
0: Have a great week. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans first non profit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, Michael Isaac Stein, Marta Jusin, Nick Krastel, and Lens editor Charles Maldonado. You can read all the week's other news along with opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.